Could it be living in a computer simulation? And who's controlling it? Let's enter the buzzsaw. Welcome to Buzzsaw, where we cut through the mainstream narrative to explore the hidden truths. I'm your host, Sean Stone, and joining me today is Billy Carson, the founder of Forbidden Knowledge on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr. Topics he covers range from the ancient suppressed knowledge to current events of the present day. Billy is a contributor to Huffington Post and has teamed up with the top UFO hunters in the world to form the United Family of Anomaly Hunters. Today, he teams up with us to uncover hidden knowledge. So, Billy, you're quite entrepreneurial, and looking at your bio, it says that you have a space travel company. So I want to start by asking you, what does that mean, and what are you actually working on? Well, that's a good question. Uh, basically, we have a space agency. It's not a, we don't have launch capability, so we don't launch rockets. But what people don't realize is there's actually a lot of space agencies out there that provide ancillary uh, tools, research, and development for, like, SpaceX, NASA, and the European Space Agency. And one of the things that we're doing is we're specializing in research and development of alternative propulsion systems and zero-point energy devices. So we're really experimenting in different ways to get lifting of, um, of vehicles off the ground, as well as being able to transport uh, these vehicles with their own internal energy power source. Mm -hmm. uh, and typically what happens is you go by, um, you know, usually by battery power uh, or recirculating energy. We're actually going to provide energy sources that can extrapolate energy right out, right out of the atmosphere or out of the ether, basically, as well as using uh, magnetic uh, repulsion technology. Yeah, so and basically in zero-point energy and these, these theories that you're working with, um, are you looking to certain theorists, I would think of like Tesla, for example, um, or even potentially like... Uh, even like wormhole or Stargate technology, which has been talked about in the ancient past. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, are you looking to the more recent past or to the ancient past? We actually have gone ancient, I mean super ancient, all the way back to the Mahabharata and the Bhagavad Gita, which are some ancient Indian texts. And there they talk about Vimanas. And then these, these Vimanas uh, were talked about and written about that they actually had mercury engines and were able to, to levitate and fly silently across the land and transport the kings and elites from place to place. Uh, so we actually looked into that and said, could this be possibly real? And the more we looked into it, the more we found that it could potentially be very, very real theoretically. Mm -hmm. So we started experimenting with different concepts of using mercury uh, because that's what they used. And mercury is a ferrofluid. It's actually a liquid metal. Uh, so we discovered that by putting this liquid metal into a torus, which is a steel torus with a reverse magnetic field inside of it to keep the actual uh, fluid from the, the, the ferrofluid from touching the inside, and then you actually can bring it up to a rotation to, a, to an RPM of about 50,000. Once you do that and then pressurize that torus to about 250,000 pressures, you then get this amazing anti-gravity bubble. And what, you don't get complete anti-gravity, but you do get to reduce the weight of an object. With anything within the range of that torus field will be reduced by up to 70% the weight, the mass. Uh, so these are some of the theories that we're exper experimenting with, and we're very excited about it because it really looks like we'll be able to provide something that could potentially provide an anti-gravity or, or reduce the mass of an object. Mm -hmm. So you see these companies that are basically working to privatize the uh, space endeavors, you know, mm -hmm. companies like SpaceX and Virgin Galactic. Do you think that this is ultimately a benefit for mankind's initiative towards traveling towards space, or will these companies ultimately just privatize the gains and basically keep them secret from the public? Uh, it's going to work a little bit both ways. Some of the 
some of the technology and some of the some of the discoveries will be provided to the, to the general population or citizens of this planet, uh, but not the really big ones. And I think, and I can't say this for sure, but I think that's in part because they've probably signed agreements with the military-industrial complex, NASA, or Europe, whoever it is, the bigger organization, uh, to keep some of the, the bigger discoveries top secret, because it's got to go through a filter first. I mean, they just can't go out there and say, look, we found this entire civilization with all this technology laying around. Look, everybody, we, they're gonna, it's going to go by, through a step-by-step -step process, and then the powers that be will then decide who gets access to what, who gets a chance to see what. Overall, the private industries will, will profit significantly from this, and I think that the citizens of the world will be spoon-fed a little bit at a time. Mm. So why is it that the government over the past few years, especially under Obama, for example, they cut back on NASA's uh, manned endeavors towards space, for example? Um, what, is, you know, what is the motivation to cut back on NASA, mm. which does seem to have been a, a tremendous initiative uh, for, you know, for a lot of what we know as far as the probes of space and whatnot? Um, but also it seems that there is a sort of a, a deep cover mm. element within NASA as well. There is the notorious relationship with the, Nazi, with the Nazis that were brought over after the war. Mm -hmm. So do you think NASA is ultimately losing power and they're transferring you know, more uh, of a role to the private companies? Or is, is NASA still a prominent uh, component in the entire endeavor to understand space? Well, that's a very good question. Now, what's happening is NASA is a front for a much bigger program, the SSP, or the Secret Space Program. And what, what NASA is planning to do, basically, is they're going to continue to progress uh, with, through private space because through private space, you can actually cover a lot more things up. When you're a public uh, or a you know, public access type of company or a company run by the government, then people can put in Freedom of Information Acts. They can request information. They can say, hey, where, where are our dollars are going here? What's going on? What, what can, we need to see what you're doing. This is why NASA releases those images from Mars and Venus and, and Mercury and all these other planets we go to, because they have to. But if it was done by a private space industry, they wouldn't have to release anything. So through private space, you can keep things a lot more secret because you bypass the whole government uh, objective and you bypass the, the citizens, really. So you can really get a lot more things done behind the scenes than you can uh, by staying public. Mm -hmm. So what do you think is the ultimate, um, let's say, you know, purpose or uh, destiny of man when it comes to space travel? Do you think that you know, humans will ultimately be going and colonizing Mars mm -hmm. in the coming, you know, millennia, for example, or do you think that ultimately uh, it will basically, you know, space travel will be secured for a small elite group that perhaps are even traveling in space, in your opinion? Mm -hmm. Well, I think that uh, the, the biggest objective overall for space travel is to uh, secure the human race. Unfortunately, it's a very small list of people that are allowed to get access to this, these breakaway civilizations, and I really do believe that there probably are multiple breakaway civilizations right now and expanding. And I think that the, they're, they're looking for specific types of um, genetic makeups, people with di different types of uh, abilities, whether it be technology, whether it be sciences, you know, whether it be even construction. Uh, so I think that there's a very small, hand-picked group of people that are going to these breakaway civilizations and starting these infrastructures. Uh, and I think that overall, in general, the general population, for, mo for the most, might not even never know about it, or maybe many centuries down the road will then eventually have free access to go back and forth. But I think initially it's going to be um, kept to the elites. You know, a prominent theory that's coming, that's circulating now is this flat earth theory. And so according to that one, I don't think, I think the argument is that we've never actually left the stratosphere, right? right. Actually, we've never even traveled in space. And mm -hmm. all the, uh, you know, the images that are sent back basically are just, uh, yeah. you know, doctored and mm -hmm. concocted. And, you know, do you think there's anything valid in this, in this flat earth idea? 
Uh, there's nothing valid in flat earth whatsoever. I really uh, empathize with the people who have kind of fallen for the propaganda. It's really a psyop, a psychological operation that was kind of put forth by, admittedly, actually by the CIA uh, several years back. People kind of took it and ran with it. And what their whole premise is that the earth is flat and that we're living in the dome and what we see up top is just a projection or you know, a computer program or some type of, uh, I don't know how they co correlate the sun to it at all, but, um, but basically, and there's, and there's an edge, but unfortunately, that's not the case. Um, the laws of physics wouldn't even work in this third dimension with that. Um, and it's really almost an insult in a way to um, our ancestors. The, our ancestors knew, forget, they say NASA, NASA lies. Okay, forget NASA. Let's look at the ancients. <laughs> now, there's been some circulation of lies about the Anunnaki saying that the earth was flat. Total lies. Okay, these are people, again, who are propaganda, paid propaganda agents putting information out there. The Anunnaki never once in any text, any tablet, anywhere have ever said the earth was flat. They talked about, matter of fact, when Alulu was being sentenced to die on Mars, uh, these, the tablets talk about uh, the ship that Alulu and Anu were in orbiting Mars several orbits before they actually found the spot to land. Mm -hmm. Okay, how do you orbit something that's flat? And this is even another planet. They talk about, and Lil talks about, encircling the planet several times before finding the perfect place when he decided to pick uh, Mesopotamia as, as the official spot, even though Alulu had landed here many thousand years prior. And Lil took his own rounds and said, okay, this is the place that we're going to go ahead and establish the first major civilization here. So again, this is talking about a spherical Earth. And you go into the Sumerian Cylinder Scroll where you actually can see that they depict all the planets that are orbiting the sun. They're all spheres. And even their own captured planet is, is on the cylinder scroll as well. So they depict the Earth as, as round. And then when you go into some of the biblical texts, Enoch actually went on a planned trip in the spaceship with the Anunnaki uh, when you really digest it and really break it down is what happened. He even told his son, here, these are their sacred records, guard them, so forth and so on. It was an appointed day that they were going to leave. It wasn't like they just showed up and took them. Uh, and again, he describes the Earth uh, in the book of Enoch as a sphere. Okay, so... And now you can go to the Dogon tribe. They don't not only describe the Earth as a sphere, they knew every planet in our solar system, the color, the shape, and the sizes of all the planets, Neptune and everything else, Uranus. And they even knew about a solar system outside of our solar system, where Sirius B and Sirius A. Sirius B is actually a star we just discovered in like the late 1960s, I believe, or 70s. Uh, they knew about this for thousands of years, and it's part of their history that they've brought down, you know, step by step. Um, and they actually talk about this star being a, uh, a failed star or a star that ran out of fuel. And the, the Nomo came here from this star. Uh, these were some Anunnaki-type fish people that actually came here and taught them some information. But, but basically, so you can keep going back. The Zulu, the Zulu nation in Africa, they as well knew of all the planets, the shapes, the sizes. So to say that the Earth is flat and to say that NASA is a liar, okay, you can say that NASA lied. NASA has lied. There's no doubt about that. They've covered up a lot of things. But let's go to the ancient texts and, and figure that out. The ancients have all stated that the Earth is a sphere. When you look at the Perry-Reese map, the Perry-Reese map shows the Earth as a sphere. It shows Antarctica before it even had ice on it. And not only that, if you actually look at the Perry-Reese map from above, you have to be positioned directly over Giza, Egypt, to make that exact layout of the Perry-Reese map. So whoever, whoever started that map, the official, original first one, was taken from space looking down on Giza. Right. Okay. And even looking at other planets in mm -hmm. our solar system, I mean, the idea of 
would be that all those uh, planets had been doctored as far as you know the flat Earth theory is concerned. <laughs> right, that's right. what you're saying. But meanwhile, you, you're looking at a lot of the anomalies that have been found from the NASA photos. And talk about some of the discoveries you've seen on different planets, um, whether it be Mars, Venus, mm -hmm. even Pluto. You're saying that you've, you've found anomalies with your anomaly hunters, right? Yes, we found anomalies. I'm part of the United Family of Anomaly Hunters. We've literally downloaded over one million images now, the whole group of us, and we've found, picked out about 50,000 total anomalies. The majority of them are on Mars because we have the most data from Mars. Uh, these anomalies, what, are, what is an anomaly? An anomaly is an out-of-place object, something that shows geometry, something that almost appears to be like a biological organism or something that's out of place. And how we do this, we pull down raw data directly from the European Space Agency servers, NASA servers, and the Indian Space Agency servers, and we actually pull them down into our computers. We magnify them. We literally get out magnifying glasses and go inch by inch, sometimes millimeter by millimeter, looking at these images. When we spot something, okay, we see this, this rock outcropping here. This particular object doesn't match this outcropping. We pull them in, and we really analyze them in detail. We open up in Photoshop, we take a better look, and we take away some of the haze, some of the false fudging that's been put over them. And once we do that, we see what's there. If we, just, if we, we vote on it and say, okay, this is definitely something that's there, then we put it out on our site and we say, look, here's another anomaly that we discovered, something that's out of place. We can't specifically tell you this is what it is, but we can tell you that, look, this is an out of place object and it doesn't belong in here. It's not something that we believe is naturally formed by nature. Mm -hmm. And so what are the, some of the, the things look, that appear to be as far as... A lot of know. structures. We've seen structures on Mercury. People say, oh, Mercury, you can't have anything. Mercury is now, the Mercury Messenger mission has revealed that Mercury has 47% oxygen, argon gases, hydrogen, everything else. You can literally pop your, your helmet off when you land on Mercury and take a deep breath. The temperature isn't molten lead like everybody thought. Only at the equator is extremely hot, but towards the poles you actually get a, a normalized temperature because Mercury takes 61 days to spin on its own axis. So most of the planets never in the direct sunlight. We found structures there, structure after structure after structure. And these structures, one of the biggest ones that I discovered made the international news, is this one building that appears to be almost a mile long. And you can use a measuring tool to tell how big this, this structure is. And it's backed up to a canal or a lake. And, and again, it's already been revealed publicly that there are billions of tons of water and, and um, and gases on Mercury, so it's not even a secret anymore. Venus as well, we've discovered uh, what appear to be structures, massive structures, which appear to be intact, which is very bizarre, because if it's an ancient society, why are these things, you know, on Earth, if something is here, and you go back and look at it in a thousand years, it looks pretty, you know, destroyed or fallen apart or demolished, but a lot of these structures appear to be completely intact. Mars, you can find destroyed structures everywhere. You can find remnants of ancient civilizations and cities. Um, and a lot of what appear to be different types of machines directly on the surface just laying there, but the majority of Mars has been washed over. You can tell, you can see where it had a global flood and a lot of the stuff has been destroyed. Mm -hmm. uh, and a lot of the moons that orbit Saturn and Jupiter uh, as well have evidence of, of, of pyramids. All of these, by the way, have pyramids. Pyramids on our moon, pyramids on Mercury, pyramids on Venus, all the way across the whole solar system. So it would almost indicate that, as some people like Graham Hancock has talked about, a civilization that was global across the Earth, mm -hmm. uh, you know, an Atlantean, yeah. let's say an Atlantean civilization, you're saying it was actually across the whole solar system. Interplanetary, correct. And this was basically given to us by the Anunnaki. Anunnaki, correct. The same architect. Uh, if you read the Emerald Tablets, I'm sorry, well, if you read the Emerald Tablets, that's correct. Thoth himself, uh, who wrote the Emerald Tablets, it's his, his, own, his own handiwork. In other words, he didn't have a scribe write this tablet for him. He wrote these tablets himself, he claims. In there, he describes that he, was, uh, he built the Great Pyramid at Giza. 
Uh, he designed it almost as like a gigantic stone computer, and he hid a lot of secrets inside of the actual construction, which he absolutely did. Then much later on, it was falsely um, attributed to Khufu, uh, but really Thoth himself claims to have built the Great Pyramid, and it's much, much older than people can even imagine, uh, and, as well as the Sphinx, which mm -hmm. he built as well. And the face of the Sphinx originally was his face, but later on his brother, who took over ancient Egypt or the land of Kem, Recarved the Sphinx faces to his to his own to his own kid his own son, but presum presumably these Anunnaki that were here at one point living amongst us, perhaps even in some way altering or creating us, um, at, at some point they apparently left, mm -hmm. correct? Yes, correct. And that's and what caused that that uh, ultimate fl their flight their flight mm -hmm. and I would say what does then the landscape look like? I mean, is this planet now human controlled in the mm -hmm. in the sense that you know the Anunnaki are gone, so right. now humans are in charge? Well, yeah, uh, that would be really great if we were really in charge. Unfortunately, it's not. There were two pyramid wars, one for much further back, and then things settled down, and then there was a, a second pyramid war. These wars were always over the same thing, control of humans, control of land, and control of these tablets of destiny, which had changed hands a couple of different times. And these tablets of destiny, you know, they, they have this, their technology, they have the genetic codes on them, they have star maps in them, all these different things, these tablets of destiny, and it's claimed whoever has them has control over the earth and, and over the galaxy and so forth and so on. But these wars uh, continued to persist, and this last particular one war was the nuclear war. And it, you can tell because you can, just, you can read the descriptions of what's in the ancient text between the Mahabharata, the Bhagavad Gita, and the Sumerian Cylinder Scrolls. It literally describes radiation sickness, radiation poisoning, and the way the blast actually looks as a mushroom cloud when, when they go off. And, and, and they found glass in the sand, buildings have been vitrified and so forth. So basically what happened was a lot of them left. They just took off and got the heck out of here. Some stayed. Some were actually married already to humans and could not leave because they were already banned from going back to their home planet because of mating with, with humans. Uh, they stayed here, but uh, Amun-Ra, most interestingly, uh, who was the main target of some of this, this second pyramid war to be killed and so forth, he escaped. But before he escaped, he left the kingship to his uh, Rakam, which is his offspring of. And the word Kam translates into the word shield. So you look and you say Ra shield. So right here you can see where we have a depiction of the Ra shield. In ancient times, 6,000 years ago, already taking control of the finances and the kingdom from Amun-Ra, who was the brother of Thoth. And you can see it persists all the way till this day. This is why you see a lot of Egyptian uh, uh, type themes with the Queen of England and so forth and so on, because the, the pharaohs eventually migrated through Arabia, then into uh, England, into Europe, I would say, and where they became, uh, you know, kingdoms and so forth and so on. Mm -hmm. uh, so this, and this has progressed all the way into the United States to this current day. If you go from John Lackland, who was the Plagenet bloodline, who was directly related to the Arabian kingdom, the Sumerian kings, his bloodline is also related to every single president of the United States of America, including Obama. There's only one president that wasn't directly related, that was Van Buren, but Van Buren still was related to royalty. That particular year or that particular election, they didn't have a suitable uh, bloodline uh, to, to take that spot. But all the way from, from then through right now, even Donald Trump, who's related directly by blood to this bloodline, uh, it's amazing. That's who's running this planet until this very day. There's still that bloodline here, and then you have the Germans as well. The Germans are actually into this bloodline, involved in this blood, and entangled in it. And a lot of the leaders that are running and making a lot of the background decisions are Germans. It's Germanic in nature. Mm -hmm. So there's almost like another Reich still controlling and running this planet right now. Mm -hmm. And what would the, uh, 
the intention be, let's say, if you know, for these Anunnaki descendants in terms of how they view humans and what they ultimately see as far as this planet, as far as its resources and people, mm -hmm. you know, what is the value of yeah. maintaining you know, a, a kingship here? Mm -hmm. uh, well, unfortunately for humans, they see humans as cattle. Humans are just another means to their end. It's not really about the money for them because they have all the money that they can want. You know, the Rothschilds alone are worth $700 trillion. trillion. I mean, so it's not about the money. It comes down to control, power, and utilizing humans to, to get, make their gains. One of their gains that they're looking for, they're looking to get off this planet, they're looking for breakaway civilizations. So they literally use humans as cattle to generate and run the planet, you know, go to work, generate revenue and income that they can take and they can put into... Uh, different programs, black budget programs, $7 trillion missing here, $8 trillion missing there. It's not missing. They know exactly where the money is. They're using this money to, to get off planet, mm -hmm. and they have been. So that's the same thing goes for the We Buy Gold, which is a, which is a black budget behind-the-scenes program. Gold is one of the most you know, needed things in the universe when you're talking about space travel. Mm -hmm. gold, gold is malleable. You can actually put electricity in on one end and get the same amount of electricity on the other end without losing anything in the friction. Okay, this is a very rare thing. Uh, it's, you, can, you can make it into any shape or form. You could take it down into an atomic level and actually make mi atomic level microprocessors with the, with the gold, which you would definitely need. And it's also radiation proof and it reflects uh, sunlight and radiation very well. So this is something you would need in radiation hardened computer boards and so forth. This is why gold is so valuable. And that was, that was really what was behind the entire We Buy Gold project. That whole program is all about, in my opinion, the secret space program. And un, you know, unknowingly, the citizens say, oh, you know, I can turn my gold in and get some money. But it was a much, much bigger, bigger, bigger project than that. So as we deepen our understanding of the universe, and you're looking oftentimes to ancient texts to help inform us, um, now we come into current times, and the matrix theory is a very prominent one. Mm -hmm. Some Silicon Valley billionaires are willing to spend a lot of money actually trying to prove that we live in a computer simulation. Um, what is your take on how viable that is, and if that fits into the overall theory of what the ancients have passed on to us about this universe we live in? Very good question. I mean, if you go into the Emerald Tablets again, Thoth himself talks about the holographic nature of the universe, uh, and he talks about his, his ability to transfer his consciousness into other avatars. Uh, so, and you fast forward into the future, uh, and, and what these guys are starting to really figure out, these quantum physicists and theoretical physicists are really starting to figure out. One in particular, uh, Sylvester James Gates, he's actually a professor at the University of Maryland, uh, he has, he's the one who brought, kind of really, uh, I guess you want to say, streamlined, uh, focused in on supersymmetry and discovered that the actual fabric of space-time, the actual ether itself, runs off of zeros and ones. Mm. And it's a, spe a specific type of code called adinkras. And these adinkras, which actually go back to the Dogon tribe, believe it or not, <laughs> in Africa, these adinkras actually um, tell physicists that the, the universe itself, the ether, is running off the same code as computer browsers. So the same code that regulates your computer browser is the same code that regulates the ether of space itself. Hmm. And now this has been vetted, you know, uh, researched and, and peer-reviewed information, and it's now gone widespread because the reality of it is, uh, or you want to say the unreality of it, it appears that we are possibly living in a simulated universe. Now, what does this mean? It doesn't take anything away from people who believe there's a, there's a God. And the reason why is because it proves that there is a creator. I think one of the biggest things that this type of science and quantum physics has also proved that, that somebody has created this realm or some people or entities, we don't know exactly. There's more than one, but there, there's something has created this. And, and what it shows is that uh, 
it appears that we are living in a light matrix. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is everything that we appear that appears to be material objects within this realm is actually made of light. And people say, oh, well, no, you have quarks and you have this, you have that. Yeah, but everything is an electromagnetic frequency. Mm -hmm. And those frequencies are all light. That's what those are. And, and just because you can't see it doesn't mean that it's not light. This is, this is a light universe. Everything is made of light. My body, your body, this table, everything. And, and what it appears to be is that there's actually maybe potentially a, a two-dimensional structure which is actually broadcasting in this frequency, which then consciousness takes over and actually... Malleable, makes it malleable into different things that we call matter, mm -hmm. where separation really doesn't exist. Separation is really an illusion. It's almost as if the Big Bang happened, and it came, it came into and formed itself into its own entities to experience itself subjectively. Mm -hmm. uh, so this is kind of what it's saying, but it even goes deeper than that, because it could be that we're living in nested realities. So we could be in a reality within a reality, because we ourselves are now making video games that look so real. We have a program called The Sims, and, and, and now it's, the, you know, I saw a report the other day where they're saying that these sims could potentially be conscious within 100 years. So if, we make, if we're capable of making a simulated universe with have, that has people in it that are conscious, and, and it's almost like an experiment for us to watch, could we potentially be some kid's science experiment in an ancestor universe above us? And how deep does this nesting go? Well, isn't that part of the, the theory about the Nanunaki creating us, is that maybe we are their simulation? Absolutely, that's another part of the whole thing. It's very, very possible that we are living in an Anunnaki simulated universe, uh, that we're just nothing more than a very big experiment. And it doesn't mean that we're not real. When, when people hear holographic universe, they think, oh, it means that we're fake. No, you're real, your experiences are real, your kids are real. Everything that happens is real, okay? Because, because your consciousness is real. Your consciousness is real, exactly. The consciousness is what's, what's the, the thing that powers everything. Hmm. And uh, if you study the double slit experiment, people who don't know about it, where they took the photons and shot them through a little board, well, that on the back wall is where it produced either particles or when you observed it, it produced a wave. So is it a particle is it a wave? This is where the question is. Consciousness is really dictating what happens here. And because we're inside of the actual hologram, we're actually self-immersed inside on the inside of it, look, trying to look out, we'll never see the edge of the universe. We're on the inside looking out. Somebody from the outside looking in can see, can see everything from another higher dimension. Mm -hmm. From this dimension, we appear to be completely self-immersed in it. So even when we touch things, it's an illusion. I, my hand touching this table is an illusion. All it is is the electromagnetic frequencies in, in my fingers repelling the electromagnetic frequencies inside of this table. Mm -hmm. And if I can phase shift the frequencies of the atomic structure in my hand, I can pass my hand right through this table. Mm -hmm. So that begs the question, are there entities in other dimensions that have the capability of phase shifting their atomic frequencies and stepping into the third dimension? I think that's very possible. Right, and then, well, in terms of the other dimensions that are neighboring, for example, would that indi be an indica indicated by dark matter and dark energy, which obviously is the most predominant forms and forces in the universe? Dark energy and dark matter, I think, are part of this sophisticated program because it's almost the ether energy. Mm. Everything that's in this universe appears to have been here from the second that it formed. Whenever the switch was turned on, which caused the Big Bang, or whether we are in membrane theory where two membranes banged together and a white hole formed and sent the energy into this dimension. But I think that the dark matter and, and, and the dark energy, which are light, by the way, some people think that dark energy or dark matter means darkness. No, no, no. Dark matter and dark energy are actually light electromagnetic waves that we're calling dark because we physically can't see it, but we know it's there. But anything that's a frequency is light, okay? So these things are, this, this energy is moving throughout the universe and, and, uh, and powering it literally like an energy source. I'm not sure if it's multidimensional, but I know that if you had the capability, in my opinion, of capturing it, 
and, and using it as negative energy, you might be able to open up a wormhole or a stable wormhole, which might be what they're working on at CERN. I see. And so ultimately you're saying we're living in a light matrix, right? And that obviously goes back to what the Masons and others have talked about, which is this whole quest for light, mm -hmm. right? Absolutely. How do you think that we could ultimately harness and use light in terms of uh, either transforming the universe around us or basically becoming creators in our own right? Well, I think that we all are part co-creators in the universe through consciousness. I don't think we're totally creating reality. We may collectively be creating reality, but I think that everybody's creating their own reality tunnel. And I think that most people don't realize this. But the, the biggest thing, the trick to this whole light matrix is unity. Once everybody comes together and realizes that we're all one, we're all connected, and consciousness is able to basically almost collapse in on itself and, 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 and come in as one force, we may be able to realize truly what we're in and how we can control it to better ourselves and humanity as a whole. Mm -hmm. We actually have now uh, questions coming in from the uh, some of our viewers. So um, Sarah from Texas asked a really interesting question about the dark side of the moon, that basically she's seen hundreds of small pyramids, according to some of the, the photographs. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the theories is that, you know, John Lear has pointed out the idea that there's a soul machine, essentially, or some kind of, um, the pyramids in some form suck in all the uh, energy that tries to pass off this planet. Do you think that this is what's going on as far as, is there a matrix that's kind of keeping souls here to keep reincarnating, to keep living through an existence and uh, basically to, for a set period of time? That's a very interesting concept. I'm not 100% sure of that theory. I do know that the Clementine mission went and took pictures of the backside of the moon. I hate to call it the dark side of the moon because there is no dark side of the moon. That's another word, term that's kind of thrown around that tricks people into thinking that one side's always dark and one side's not. The moon rotates on its own axis. It's in a tidal locked orbit with the Earth, so we only get to see one side. Mm -hmm. but, but on that side of the moon, the Clementine mission took a lot of interesting photos. and A lot of anomalies are on that side of the moon. There's a lot of what appear to be craters with pyramids inside the craters. And I'm talking about dozens and dozens and dozens of them. Now, I'm not 100% sure if they are attached to this thing that the Anunnaki talk, talk about, which they're able to, they talk about taking this, the soul of a human being and encapsulating it and, and keeping it regenerating on this planet as a slave. I'm not sure if that connects directly with those pyramids or not. I can't really say, but I can tell you this. I had a meeting with... Uh, Major Ed Dames in um, uh, October of this year, where he talked about an, a black pyramid on the backside of the moon that actually uh, is not owned by us, that it's actually functional. But this black pyramid, black meaning the color black, uh, actually there was a, a nuclear experiment in the desert somewhere in Mesopotamia or somewhere in the Middle East, and it, it was a fail. They didn't bury it deep enough. And he claimed that this black pyramid disappeared from there reappeared over this failed nuclear experiment and sucked up the radiation and then disappeared from there and went back to the, the back side of the moon. Hmm. This is a claim, obviously, that he's made, but um, it's very interesting uh, that she says maybe it has something to do with, with, with you know, absorbing the souls because the Anunnaki do talk about that. I just don't know if there's a direct correlation with that and the anomalies on the back side of the moon. Mm -hmm. But the point is that we are reincarnating here for a certain period of time. Mm -hmm. And is there, is there any purpose in your mind towards what humans are meant to achieve while they're in this incarnation process? I think that there's uh, different levels. And I think certain people actually have volunteered to come here to help and assist with mankind's ascension to a higher dimension because some have broke free and realized what's going on and have come back to try to assist and aid. Uh, I call them Jedis, D-J-E-D-I, you know. Uh, and then we have some people here that are just reincarnating over and over again 
and don't really realize what's going on, and they're looking for this assistance, looking for this help, and those people are coming to us and coming to shows like this and coming, you know, to Guy and other places and seeking knowledge and truth, trying to find ways to, to really consciously transfer, transform themselves. Uh, and I think there's also soulless avatars that are part of the actual Matrix programming, in my personal opinion, that are here to try to keep everybody boxed in. Hmm. So I think it's a combination of a lot of things going on all at once. Absolutely. Fascinating interview. Thank you so much for your time, Billy. Really Thank appreciate you. it. Appreciate it. Thank you. And there you have it, folks. Fascinating insights from Billy Carson. You may not agree with or believe everything said here today, but I really urge you to check out his research at Forbidden Knowledge on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr. Remember, the road to truth is a perilous path along the buzzsaw's edge. It requires constant reassessment. I'm your host, Sean Stone, and you are the revolution. Hey everyone, this is Billy Carson, also known as Forbidden Knowledge. If you haven't done so, please check out my book, Compendium of the Emerald Tablets. It's currently a bestseller on Amazon.com. You can look it up, Compendium of the Emerald Tablets by Billy Carson. In this book, I break down the metaphysical, quantum physics, esoteric wisdom of Thoth the Atlantean. This information was written eons ago, and I've taken my time to break down all of the information in a way that everyone can understand it. So please, check it out. Compendium of the Emerald Tablets. If you're into learning about the true ancient history and ancient civilizations, you have to read my book.